0: The winds of the world are bitter to Homo vulgaris. He likes the warmth and safety of the herd, and he likes a bellwether with a clarion bell. The art of politics under democracy is simply the art of ringing it. Two branches reveal themselves. There is the art of the demagogue, and there is the art of what may be called by a shotgun marriage of Latin and Greek, the demoslave. They are complementary, and both of them are degrading to their practitioners. The demagogue is one who preaches doctrines he knows to be untrue to men he knows to be idiots. The demoslave is one who listens to what these idiots have to say and then pretends that he believes it himself. Every man who seeks elective office under democracy has to be either the one thing or the other, and most men have to be both. The whole process is one of false pretenses and ignoble concealments. No educated man, stating plainly the elementary notions that every educated man holds about the matters that principally concern government, could be elected to office in a democratic state, save perhaps by a miracle. His frankness would arouse fears, and those fears would run against him. It is his business to arouse fears that will run in favor of him. Worse, he must not only consider the weaknesses of the mob, but also the prejudices of the minorities that prey upon it. Some of these minorities have developed a highly efficient technique of intimidation. They not only know how to arouse the fears of the mob, they also know how to awaken its envy, its dislike of privilege, its hatred of its betters. How formidable they may become is shown by the example of the Anti-Saloon League in the United States. A minority body in the strictest sense, however skillful its mustering of the popular support, for it nowhere includes a majority of the voters among its subscribing members, and its leaders are nowhere chosen by democratic methods. And how such minorities may intimidate the whole class of place-seeking politicians has been demonstrated brilliantly and obscenely by the same corrupt and unconscionable organization. It has filled all the law-making bodies of the nation with men who have got into office by submitting cravenly to its dictation, and it has filled thousands of administrative posts, and not a few judicial posts with vermin of the same sort. Such men, indeed, enjoy vast advantages under democracy. The mob, insensitive to their dishonor, is edified and exhilarated by their success. The competition they offer to men of a more decent habit is too powerful to be met, so they tend, gradually, to monopolize all the public offices. Out of the muck of their swinishness, the typical American lawmaker emerges. He is a man who has lied and dissembled, and a man who has crawled. He knows the taste of boot polish. He has suffered kicks in the tonneau of his pantaloons. He has taken orders from his superiors in knavery, and he has wooed and flattered his inferiors in sense. His public life is an endless series of evasions and false pretenses. He is willing to embrace any issue, however idiotic, that will get him votes. And he is willing to sacrifice any principle, however sound, that will lose them for him. I do not describe the Democratic politician at his inordinate worst. I describe him as he is encountered in the full sunshine of normalcy. He may be, on the one hand, a crossroads idler striving to get into the state legislature by grace of the local mortgage sharks and evangelical clergy, or he may be, on the other, the President of the United States. It is almost an axiom that no man may make a career in politics in the Republic without stooping to such ignobility. It is as necessary as a loud voice. Now and then, to be sure, a man of sounder self-respect may make a beginning, but he seldom gets very far. Those who survive are nearly all tarred, soon or late, with the same stick. They are men who, at some time or other, have compromised with their honor, either by swallowing their convictions or by whooping for what they believe to be untrue. They are in the position of the chorus girl who, in order to get her humble job, has had to admit the manager to her person. And the old birds among them, like chorus girls of long experience, come to regard the business resignedly and even complacently. It is the price that a man who loves the clapper-clawing of the vulgar must pay for it under the democratic system. He becomes a coward and a trimmer ex officio. Where his dignity was in the days of his innocence, there is now only a vacuum in the wastes of his subconscious. Vanity remains to him, but not pride.